Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Message two of strong families and healthy relationships. How many of you did your homework? <coughs> Took that card home. I saw some people doing like this. <laughs> if you did not, and a lot of you were traveling for Thanksgiving, I'll give you a quick recap. Uh, I see there's a few cards left on the table back there. You can pick that up and read it. The, the basic idea of the first message, it was called Love Goes First, and it was consciously choosing to bring love first into your relationships, whether it be marriage with your children, your siblings, your coworkers, your friends, whoever it is, choosing intentionally to go first in love, especially if you're a believer. Because love toward one another is one of the commandments of Christ, and our unity in our love for one another as believers is a sign toward the world that we follow Jesus and it will compel them to believe that God sent Christ into this earth. Love is the strategy. Love wins. And if love goes first, if you make it... Now, you know, there is the concept of healthy relationships and having boundaries and all of that kind of stuff, and I'm going to continue to address that as we go through this series. But in general, you're in, you know, healthy, generally healthy relationships with people. You think your relationships are messed up? Don't worry, everybody's got problems. It's all right. It's not just you. Don't worry. But when you choose to act first in love, it's what people are waiting for. People don't, you know, men and women differ because the wife starts talking about her problem and the guy's like, let's fix this thing. And she's like, no, I just want you to listen. Just, could you just shut up and just listen for just a minute? Because, and ultimately, you just want to process, right? You want to feel like someone's listening to you and hearing you. But you know what? Everybody feels that way. When guys get together, they do it together. Guys want to process. We just do it with other guys. And so I told this story, I'll remind you, but uh, there was, there was a, I, I watched this short video, and I, I, I don't know, I study all different kinds of things, but I've been on this AI kick lately, this artificial intelligence you know, interesting kick lately, trying to understand some of that. Was that me or you? Oh, that was you down there. I thought I commuted. Uh, but so artificial intelligence and where we are in the science community with that. And I got on this one video I was watching. This, this girl is a chatbot software developer. And she had a friend, and it was she had this guy friend, and it was a bit of a long-distance relationship. And one of the ways that they stayed in touch that was a real key component of their relationship was texting. And so she had all these texts from him for years and years and years. Well, he got sick and he passed away. So a chat bot is this. Like if you need to fix your Verizon account or whatever, you go online and the little thing pops up and says, hey, we have someone here that would like to chat with you. Can we, you know, do you have any questions? So you type your question in there and it says, wait a moment, as I, you know, it sounds very polished and professional and sometimes sounds like an actual human, it's probably a chat bot. And you type your question and it digs through the information in your account and it brings you back an answer that sounds like a human. Well, so that's a chat bot, right? And they exist in all different capacities. She made a chat bot for her friend Roman. And what she did was she took all of the texts that she had between him and she actually took texts between him 
and a bunch of other friend, of his friends, and it was the resource pool, the data, which this chatbot would reach into for answers to give back to her. So she developed it into an app, and she put it on her phone, and when she'd travel and get lonely because she missed a friend, she would text in this app to this, you know, AI Roman, and it would answer back to her. It would give her answers back, and it'd have this conversation, and, and you know, it, it, she said it sounded like him, and she showed it to his other friends, and they, you know, it was just a real interesting phenomenon. And so they decided to release it to the public by invitation only. They put it out there. They called it Replica. And several people engaged with it and went to the website. I don't know exactly how you could get on it um, or where it is right now, but several people would engage with it and have conversations with it, but they weren't try they didn't know Roman. It had just been, it was just something that these people were engaging with as a test. I don't really know why they did it, but so reports came back and she followed up to test what the experience was. And these people had this experience of feeling like they were actually talking with the person. You know, they felt like th there were some common themes in that. They said, it felt like this person was really listening to me. It, it got to a point where I felt like I could tell this person anything. I didn't feel judged, and I felt like it was genuinely interested in me. Now, we're all sitting there going, we're all, yes, a computer, that's a weird people. But there's a very emotional thing that happens when you feel like you have a safe place to express yourself. Some people, it's the fish in the water. Some people, it's your plants. Some people, it's your steering wheel. You know what I'm saying, right? You get in your safe place, your place, and you start processing, and you start speaking and talking. And Well, for these people, it was an interesting thing because it was software. But they felt, they didn't feel like that they were judged. And I started thinking about how, how that relates to relationship, you know, and we've got these life groups and, you know, sometimes counseling, all the counselors in the room, you know, you tell, you tell your people, it's like, look, I am not a paid friend. I'm not someone that you pay because you come in here, because sometimes people in a counseling situation, it's the only time they get to talk and people ask them questions about themselves because they've surrounded themselves with unhealthy, selfish people. And I pray that you are not one of those people in other people's lives that when people try to talk to you, all you do is talk about yourself. Oh, you think that's bad? Let me tell you what I'm dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like, like you're just waiting for their mouth to stop. <laughs> now I can talk, you know. And so one of, the one of the assignments we gave you last week was, are you actually listening? So one of your homework assignments was, when people are speaking, notice What's in your own head? What are your own thoughts? Are you listening to what they're saying or are you processing where your next interjection can be? Like they might say something that reminds you of something and that's fine because it's a two-way dialogue and you're having a conversation. But in general, when people are speaking, where do your thoughts go? Just about yourself, your own experiences, or do you realize that this is a human in front of you? This person has a life. This person is a real person with real struggles and real emotions and real needs and real desires and real wants and real goals and dreams and a past. They need someone to listen to them sometimes. And so we get to be that. Did any of you do that this week? Did you kind of, it's like, okay, where are my thoughts right now while this person is talking? And am I actually paying attention? Am I listening? Or am I just, you know, and the good news is you can do this homework every day for the rest of your life. Listen. I will Listen. And not just listen. See, in the Hebrew concept, there's no difference between uh, 
trust, and obey. God's, God basically has the full expectation that if you trust him, it's manifested in your obedience. And if you're not obeying, you don't really trust him. And see, it's the same thing with listening. There's a difference between hearing and listening. You might be listening, but are you hearing? Are you actually hearing and processing and perceiving what these people are saying? Now, see, there's a, there's a, there's a reason for this, and it's because our love for one another is commanded by Christ. But you don't do it because it's a commandment. You do it because you are actually in love with the people around you. You genuinely care about these people around you. Jesus gives us the strategy that the way that we will actually reach the world and convince people that God sent Jesus into the earth for the gospel reason that we went through this morning, people will believe when they see us in unity with one another, and it's through love. One of the greatest ways that you actually develop a bond of love in relationship is you hear people. You listen when they speak. Like, sorry, my brain goes like toward Brian Regan jokes in every situation. So he goes to the doctor and he's like, you feel like a kid when you go to the doctor. You know, I told you to stop. I told you to check your cholesterol. Yeah, I know. You didn't listen to me. You're right. I didn't listen. Well, are you going to listen and check your? I, I'm going to listen. When are you going to listen? I'm going to start right now. <laughs> it's like we need to do that with ourselves. Are you listening? You know, are you listening to this person? I mean, because you're not here and you're white. You know, I'm telling you, I sit in counseling. The counselors in the room can tell you it's one of the biggest things. You sit, the, the husband and wife, and one or the other starts talking, and one of them looks at the other one and completely shocked and says, I've never heard you say that. You ever felt like that? Or maybe, here's how it normally happens, right? If you're not in a counseling situation, but there's some things that you need to say to your spouse or to your friends, and you get in a situation where it's a little more social and you're with other people, and you kind of feel like, okay, here's, here's my chance, and you let something out there that you have been wanting to say, but you won't say it, then you get in a social situation, and you say it, but it's like a shot to that person's heart, and you just, boom, you can hear the bus, you know? You just threw them right under the bus because you didn't have the guts or that person was not a safe enough person for you to deal with whatever it was that you needed to say. Hello? Are you hearing me? Do you do that? You ever been that? You ever had that happen to you? You're somewhere, and it's constantly your spouse is throwing you under the bus. Well, maybe it's because you're not a safe person when you're in private. Maybe they don't feel like they can actually communicate until they know that you're not going to rip their head off because there's other people around. Hello. All right, we'll just keep on going. But this idea of unity, you know, we're talking about unity, and it, and it has, if selfishness drives you, you will not experience the oneness in relationship that can happen. So today we're talking about evicting selfishness. You know, selfishness just being gone from your vocabulary, from your understanding. But see, selfishness is easy. We've got good excuses to be selfish because, our, because we're, we're broke, we're sick, someone has committed an injustice on us. We have a reason for the situation that we're in. And yes, injustices happen, but ultimately how you respond and who you are toward other people is up to you. You know, 
Like when you mouth off and you're short and you're razor edge sharp and people don't want to talk to you, there might be a reason you feel disconnected to the other people around you. I need some more jokes. I should have scheduled jokes in between these <laughs> shots here. So I started, I started just thinking about the oneness, and I read some about, uh, you know, some of you that have actually experienced war. You know, I was reading some about the Revolutionary War and how these guys, some of them, you, you read these letters that they had written home. You know, there's, there's books out there. There's all kind of resources out there about revolution. Now, it, this is not a political statement. It's not about this nation. It's just about the mindset that these people would experience because a lot of those men were fighting for their families' futures. They were fighting for religious freedom to be out of the oppressive regime or the oppressiveness of, the, of a state church that regulated everything and was make you paying. Like you could pay for sin with money. You know, you could pay for a ton. They wanted to be free from all that kind of stuff. They wanted to just farm and work and live their lives and Obviously, there were some horrific things in the beginning of the nation, you know, with slavery, just the worst idea ever on the planet, and with uh, the, the genocide that happened. You know, so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to glorify that aspect, but the mind, by the way, did you, now you've heard it, you've heard it taught that the, uh, the pilgrims came in, and then at some point, we started distributing, or Europeans started distributing blankets with influenza in them to wipe out parts of the nation, parts of Indians. Well, they didn't even know what germs were back then. You're talking 1700s. They didn't even discover what germs were until 1860s. Louis Pasteur. I know I sound real smart, but I looked it up. There's a thing called the Internet. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm not saying that to try to alleviate the atrocities that were perpetrated back then, but, you know, it's like let's look in, a little deeper into some things that were taught. Most of them had genuine intention. So you read these letters about these men going in, and, the, and there was... There was this concept in a lot of the letters that they knew they were going to die. They knew they were going to die. It was a foregone conclusion that if you picked up arms and you went to defend against the Redcoats, you were most likely going to die. Statistics said you were going to die. But they did it because of the future for their kids. They did it because of the future of an idea of freedom for their nation, mostly for their family, right? Like, they didn't really care much about the guy in the next state, but their family, right? That family had an opportunity. If you could defend yourself against this enemy and set your family free, they had an opportunity to live and worship God and be free individuals. And they laid their lives down willingly. It was like this collective mindset for a greater idea, right? So this, this unity that they experienced where they, they diminished their individualization, they diminished their own selfishness. They took themselves out of the picture because you would think, okay, I'm going to go fight so that I can be free, so that I can come home and farm and reap all this stuff, right? It's like, no, they pretty much knew they were going to die. It's interesting. It's just an interesting phenomenon that would happen in the minds of these people. And there's another area that you see this happen, and it's with uh, astronauts. You ever heard of the overview effect? There's, there's, go, go on YouTube and pull up a video, the overview effect. It's really interesting. These astronauts, you know, they were so fixated on the moon. We we're going to go to the moon. We're going to see the moon. We're going to experience the moon. And just nonchalantly, casually, all of a sudden one says, we're going to pan the camera back on the earth. They turn, and all you flat earthers out there, I'm sorry, but, you know, you got to explain this. <laughs> they turn the camera back on the earth, right? 
And, and so then they go into this more philosophical description and, and testimony of the astronauts where they have this, what they call, they've, they've labeled the overview effect. And these astronauts would experience, even though they were, it was, it was like the idea of stepping back from something and just kind of detaching your emotions from it and detaching all of this, but looking at it, but yet still feeling very connected to it, stepping outside of something and looking at it. And what they felt was when they looked at the earth, they didn't feel a sense of an individual identity. They felt a sense of a collective identity. They felt a part of a human race that was not divided by race or national boundaries or religion or anything. There was a greater sense of connection to the collective body of humanity on this planet, right? So you see that when people have a purpose. They're in the Revolutionary War, in the space race, or whatever it is, you know. I wonder if we could have that for our families. I wonder if we could have a collective, non-me-centered vision for our families, for our personal relationships, for our church, for our communities, for the body of Christ at large, right? Like, can you step out? What if your part to play in your family meant that you didn't get to experience the fruit of it? Would you still work as hard for that family? Would you still work as hard? Would you still put everything in it because you believe in what it'll do for them? You know, I wonder if we could do that, if we could have a collective identity instead of an individual identity for our families. In, in marriage is a huge area where it manifests, you know. Let's look at Matthew 7, 12, just kind of set up some scriptural context. Matthew 7, 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them. For this is the law and the prophets. What if we actually lived by that? Did that make it up there? I don't know if it made it. Matthew 7, 12. So whatever, and I think this is the ESV, which we don't have back there, but so whatever you wish that others would do to you, not for you, to you. Interesting, right? One more time. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. If you lived by that, what would the earth look like? If you lived by that in your family, if you had this, uh, this, this collective identity in your family and in your relationship and in your marriage, what would it look like? Rather than, I need to be happy, or I need this, or, you know what, I'm going to do this, and whatever you guys do, I need... Now, Again, we're talking healthy boundaries, you know, everything in its right place where, yes, you still get to experience life abundantly, righteousness, peace, and joy on this planet. God created it for you to enjoy relationship with others and with him. I'm not talking about where you go into full-time ministry and you just sacrifice everything. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about a general mindset where you remove you out of the center of every decision that you make. And there's a collective understanding and a collective connection with your family, with your friends, your bo- your, the body that you worship with, whatever it is, you know? Now, I'm not going to come to a conclusion where I've got a sheet where I need you to sign up to serve in our kids' church. That's not where this is going, although we do need some people in kids' church. <laughs> Don't think that I'm trying to lead you down this trail to get you to do something. I- I'm not. I'm going to leave it open-ended 
So you put the periods on these ideas. You, are you with me? You're free to, in your mind, not guard yourself against where you think I'm leading you. This is not a trick. I'm not trying to lead you into something. I just want you to understand your love for one another is what is going to show the world that, Christ, that God sent Christ into this earth and listening and understanding one another and having this connection and evicting selfishness out of our own hearts is vital. Watch what he talks about. This is in Ephesians 5 where he talks about marriage. It really, I'm going to read a lot of this. We're going to start in Ephesians 5.15 and go through this. But, I, you know, a lot of, there, there is the, the order of relationship that God has ordained. There is the order of, uh, you know, I hesitate to use the word authority, but it's order in the context of relationship. But, I, but hopefully you'll see where he goes with this. So Ephesians 5.15, look carefully. Now, so Ephesians is an interesting book, right? He goes through this whole process of talking about the difference between the Jew and the Gentiles. And, and I, I've done a couple of messages on that. I'm probably going to do something a little more specific on predestination and the elect and the chosen and all of that. But he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and how it was predestined that before time, God decided that all of humanity that would believe on him could be saved through Christ. And it was then chosen, the, then the Abrahamic bloodline, the Jews, the Israelites, were then chosen, the God's chosen people, the elect, and they're referred to as the chosen and the elect in the Old Testament, mostly in Isaiah, that they were the ones that salvation would be real, revealed to in the earth. Then he goes through this master class of breaking down the barrier of the Jews' mindset, saying, oh, guess what? You know what? Those dirty, stinking Gentiles can be saved too. So he goes through this process that ultimately everyone that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. That's the conclusion that he's trying to bring them to. Then after he establishes that, he, he gives instruction. So this is instruction and he ultimately ends up on marriage, but he uses marriage to show you how it should be a reflection of our unity in Christ, you know, with uh, our personal unity with Christ is reflected in marriage. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So use your time wisely. Don't be wasting time, instruction number one. This is not necessarily related to where I'm going. I just kind of want you to see the context of what he's doing. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit or under the influence of the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Copy, you don't do that anymore. You haven't sang a hymn to me lately. I need you addressing one another in hymns, spiritual songs. <laughs> singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks, al <laughs> giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this submitting to one another part is vital because uh, we love to jump into Ephesians 5.22 when talking about marriage, but back up just a little bit and realize there's verse 21 in there also, submit to one another, all right? Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I've just seen so much abuse. I've seen so much abuse even in church where the wife is dealing with 
just this horrific monster of a man, and she's told, if you will just submit to your husband, everything will work out. That is a gross perversion of what is being taught here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the, so first off, submit to one another, right? Then he's going to show you how wives and husbands submit to one another. There is an order in marriage. I get that. We're about to see that. But it's mutual submission. Then he shows how you mutually submit. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, he's going to describe what that means, so don't get worried. His body and is himself its savior. Now, this is not, the, the doctrine that you pull out of this is not that the, wife, the husband is the savior of the wife. He's drawing an illustration here that Christ has supreme authority and power, and he used it to do something to become one with us. So the, the, the lesson to learn is that even though that Jesus is the head, he gave everything to share that authority with us. That is the reflection that should come out of marriage, uh, that you should get in marriage out of what he's teaching here. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, So this is how you mutually submit. Husbands, love your wives. Now, you know, God's pretty smart. He knows that men need lists. So he gave us a list of what love is in 1 Corinthians 13. You got the easy out, men. Go to 1 Corinthians 13, read it, memorize it, and do that toward your wife. Amen? Say yes, sir. All right. Women, you get, and add some flowers to that. Yeah, she says, yeah. I've gotten better at that part, yeah. Uh, women, not so much. You know, it's like respect your husbands, and there's real no description of that. So, you, you know, you kind of, as Christ, so husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So now you start to, now you start to, he does set the order in place, but then you start to recognize what he's, how he's describing the unity aspect and the shared authority and the oneness, all right? So, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such. So, now he's describing the extent to which Jesus went through to get to where he's going. Husbands, you do not sanctify your wives. This is a description of what Jesus did. Then he comes to the conclusion. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Do you see that? It's like you are to, yes, you're the head of the household, but you are to love your wife in such a way where you give everything for her as Jesus did. And that brings you to a place where you value and respect and cherish and protect and nourish and take care of your wife just like you're take care your own taking care of your own body. And I started meditating on that, meditating on it, thinking about that and praying about that. What if... You made decisions about your wife or your husband, and this is a mutual submission. 
What if you made decisions about your spouse's life as if it were your life? What if, you, what if you were as concerned about their heart, like their physical heart within their own body, in their chest, as you were about yours, as if like Sarah's heart is my heart? There is a oneness here. There's a mystery within marriage that it is just as important. Her health, her emotional well-being is just as important as mine is to me. This is my own body. This is a one flesh thing. And, and then that is supposed to emanate out into our relationship with Christ and the body collectively. Our unity is a sign to the world that caused them to believe that God sent Christ into the earth. That's John 17 if you want to go look that up. But what if we live that way? But see, we live where it's like I've got this job, my wife doesn't really understand this job that I have, or and I'm trying not to look at certain people. I'm not, I'm not saying you did this, but I'm just looking around, right? It's like we, we live in our selfish little bubbles, and we don't look at people as if they are us because we feel disconnected, I am separate, I am my own person, I've got my own struggles, I've got my own problems, I'm alone, I'm broke, I'm sick, I'm this, and this person hasn't done this to me, and I am, I'm, a, I'm a lonely island in the middle of people, and I feel completely alone and separated. Well, you know what? Let this collective identity rise up inside of you. It's, you could start in your relationship, start in your marriage. Make decisions for your spouses as if they are you. This is what Jesus did. See, look at, look at the, the conclusion that he comes to is that in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. He's given us a picture of how God sees us. Jesus, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. See, it starts there. It, now, it's not your responsibility to make your spouse happy. It's not your spouse's responsibility to make you feel like you have a purpose in your life. It's not your mom's, it's not your kids, it's not your friends, whatever situation that you're in. It's nobody else's responsibility to make you feel whole and at peace and one with God. That is your responsibility. And in, in fact, until you really truly understand your identity in Christ, you won't break through this barrier of experiencing this oneness with other people around you. That's why we focus so much on identity around here because it's not just, see, a lot of, a lot of the church mindset is, of course, Jesus is at the center. Boom, we got saved, Christianity one-on-one, that's done. Now, let's talk about your finances. Let's talk about your marriage. Let's talk about your kids. Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about Africa. Let's talk about, you know, everything else around. And it's like, it's good to talk about those things. I don't want to not talk about those things. But if, if those areas aren't addressed and fed out of this core identity of who you are, you're going to take up the identity of a politician or of, I'm the, I'm the preacher man. This is, you know, your identity becomes something external. I'm, I'm the, the uh, soldier. I am the whatever it is. I'm the mom. And then you, kind of, then you try to kind of look back and nurture that. Really. No, you first have to know you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are a child of God. You are presented holy and unblameable and unreprovable to your father laying in the arms of Christ. You are safe and secure in him. Your salvation is as solid 
and as safe as the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the midst of them. That is how secure you are in God. You live from that, then it feeds into these other areas. You're having trouble in a particular area, affirm your identity in Christ, and let that guide you toward how to live and, make, and better this other area. Do you see that? It's pretty simple, and we think, well, everybody does that, but no, not everybody does that. Not everybody stops and says, I'm going to step back, I'm going to detach myself from this problem. This situation is not who I am. This is who I am in Christ. Now, that is, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. This is who I am. I know who I am in eternity. I am as loved by God as Christ is. God looks at Christ. He sees me. He doesn't have to look through Christ to see me. He sees me. He's done a work within me that has made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me figure out how to better my marriage here. Let me figure out how to have a better relationship. Now, I've, I've reached a place of wholeness. Now let me figure out how to take where I am and help other people. You know, that's where ministry, that's where everything comes out of that identity. But sometimes we get detached and we feel like we're not, and I love that, what Adam said this morning. He woke up and he looked around and, you know, I'm not a big hugger, uh, so I guess maybe it's my thing. I don't make, you know, so you go to some churches and it's like, all right, everybody take a moment and greet everybody and hug one another. I like what Lyle said. We need more high fives in church. Somebody turn around and high five somebody. Let's <laughs> do that. Turn around and high five somebody. Yeah. We need more high fives in church. If you're a hugger, hey, man, knock yourself out. <laughs> I will hug you. I don't mind. And, Wives, one of the best ways you can respect your husband is remind them of their value to God. Help them live from this place of self-respect. Help them live from this place of knowing who they are in Christ. Amen? You get to follow the Holy Spirit. Women are more intuitive anyway. Women, you know, just in the design, well... <laughs> women are awesome. So, the intention is strengthening relationship, strengthening families, and it starts with every aspect of your life that needs to experience transformation starts with what's going on in your thoughts. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove the will of God. God has certain things that he wants for you. There is a collective general will morally, you know, right and wrong, that he wants you to live within that. The spirit within you will guide you through that. But there are specific things that he wants for you. And, it, and it's as you renew your mind and as you change your thoughts, which is repentance. You know, these people that teach we don't need to repent anymore. Well, you just got a wrong understanding of what repentance is. Repentance means change your mind. It's the same idea that you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are not two separate doctrines. They're the same thing, just said different ways. I love seeing those kinds of things in the Bible, right? It's like there's not all these different doctrines. It's pretty much the same concept in a lot of areas. There are different doctrines, but they're not as many as we like to splinter them out to be. So how does this relate to you? How can you take this and put this into practice? How, you know, you might have been a little bit inspired. It's really cool to think astronauts are floating out in space and they're looking at the earth and they just experience this collective identity. How does that relate to you and your relationships? 
removing yourself out of the center of every single decision, putting God in the center, and having a collective vision for your family. You know, that's kind of what I want you to walk out of here with. Whatever type of situation that you're in relationally, what is the vision? What is the collective vision that you have for your family? Now, don't worry about, the, there, trust me, there's plenty of excuses. You can deal with the excuses later. Don't let the excuses come in now. You got plenty of them. Well, my husband this, and my wife this, and my job this. And blah, 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 blah. You know what? You got plenty of excuses. You just, just go ahead and put those excuses outside, like in your mind, just like, all right, excuses. Look, you can imagine them. They're all lined up out the window there, and your excuses, they ain't getting in, okay? You're just deciding in your heart and in your mind right now, this is the vision that I have for my family. It is to glorify God. Now, you get to decide. You and God co-labor, and you get to decide what that can look like. And as those excuses rise up, you remind those excuses who you are in Christ, and you just follow the Spirit through that process, you know? But I'm going to give you another little practical tool. And I didn't get a card made for this, but this one's pretty easy. And if you did not use one of the cards last week, go ahead and grab one back there. Uh, if, you, if you weren't here last week, the bottom line was notice and acknowledge. Notice what's going on with the other people around you. Notice what they're doing for you and acknowledge your appreciation and thankfulness for them and then use that as a response. Or if you're not getting the type of treatment that you want by your people that you're in a relationship with, you go first. Love goes first. And then notice what kind of responses are you getting back? You know, you're not a victim of your circumstances. They, they play a part in your general quality of life, but you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You tell the world how it's going to behave and respond to you. Amen? So today's homework, and again, I'll write all this up and we'll get it all out to you, but it's, it's a top three to five list, Right? So it's a his and her, or it's whatever, however you want to do this in relationship. You know, mostly it's in marriage that I'll do this. But what you do is the husband and the wife, or if you're best friends or whatever, just to practice it, right? You, let's just take Heidi and Courtney, for example. So Heidi, you would write down the five things that cause you to feel loved that Courtney can do. So remember, do to others what you want them to do to you. That's the golden rule. And we're talking about this unity and, 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 and a collective oneness and getting selfishness out of the way. So it feels weird writing these down, pretend, depending on... Some of you are like, here's my chance. And you, man, you got a list. You're ready. You've been waiting for this. But some of you are kind of like, I don't really need that much. And that's all right. But make sure that you get the list written. And so you write down five things that you want Courtney to do for and to you that, make, that help you feel loved in the context of the relationship. Now, the conclusion of the things that he's going to do are not, if he does this, then I will feel complete. Or if he does this, then I'll be happy. It can't be any of that kind of stuff. It can't be anything that violates his conscience. Because sometimes people write some weird stuff you never know. Be. <laughs> I wonder if I can get them to do this, you know. Don't do that. That's not an opportunity for that. But stuff that we think that the other person should just know because they should be able to read their minds because we're married to it, they're married, we're married to them. No. You know, the things where they've not yet figured out how to read your mind, go ahead and tell them. Write it down. It's 
It's all right. It's not cheating. Doesn't mean they're a bad person. They haven't figured it out yet. Just write it down. These are the five things that I want him to do in our relationship. You know, things like uh, don't leave your clothes laying around in the floor, in the closet, in the bathroom. Uh, cook a meal once a week. Uh, take the cars to the mechanic because I don't want to have to deal with it. You know, stuff like that. Bring me flowers every now and then. It's little things. I have yet to see one time where a wife wrote on that list, build the Taj Mahal in my backyard, you know. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I'm telling you, you sit down with people in marriage, and it's like, all right, you guys want your relationship to work? Yep. You're going to do what it takes? Yep. All right. What do you want? What do you want? This is what I want. This is what I want. Sit down. Come back two weeks later. Did you do it? Well, nope, didn't do it. Well, <laughs> what's wrong with you? Well, you know, that, that's why I, my counseling sessions are very brief. <laughs> and then and then vice versa so and I've got a follow-up one that I'll give you next week but you get to do this so that is your homework in whatever contest that context that works for you right the top the, the list and so for the husband, you write, these are the top five things that cause me to feel respected. Now, I'll give you, I'll just give you the fast forward to the second part of this is once you get this in place, and you, usually I do these two or three weeks, two or three, four weeks apart just to make sure that the first one is going pretty good because you don't want to, you know, bring the hammer on the right immediately. But the second list is these are the top five things that you are currently doing that cause me to feel unloved. Let's not go there yet because we got to get through Christmas. We'll do that part after Christmas. <laughs> yes, this will be a New Year's resolution week, yeah. But it's pretty easy, right? It's like, all right, you know, I, I want my life to reflect Christ. I, I want the world to look at me and my relationships and say, hey, there's something different about those people. They must follow Jesus. And, and love is the context that breeds that type of result. And this is one thing to do to intentionally bring love into your relationship. And I'm telling you, it's fun. It, you know, we, Sarah and I, get, we're given this advice by our pastor, Jim Richards, early on, and we did it, and we memorized the list. And I still have her list from years ago. And, and, and it's so easy. And, and I, you know, some of you have spouses that are not in church. It's fine. You can still do this. Go home and just ask them, hey, would you do this? I, what, what are the, and and you, you can do it covert if you want, you know. Don't be manipulative, but just say, hey, uh, now, what, are, what are the things that really make you feel loved and respected in our marriage? And they'll answer. They'll tell you, I hope, and then do it. Pretty simple, right? Online, somebody's asking that. Uh, your friend or your parents or huh, kids, whatever. Yeah, again, whatever the context of relationship is, because not all of you have a spouse or, you know, th this, Caitlin and Jason, this is great practice for you guys to put into practice now. This is something that we, we do in premarital uh, counseling. They're not out of it yet. What? No, no, no. <laughs> Will you do it? Do the one last week, too, 
where it's, you do, you can do the five love languages. If you've never done that, go and take the five love languages. The love languages profile is good. It, it, it changes though. So, you know, don't try to stick to just one of those. It's, all it is is an intentional step to start bringing love into your relationships. So it is with uh, this list. Because I'm telling you, and, and so many times we judge each other because we, we just think that because we're living under the same roof and we have a marriage certificate in the shelf that they should know what they're supposed to do to make me happy. They don't. People are so selfish. We're so wrapped up in our own minds. We're not, we barely even know what makes us happy, much less you. <laughs> but you know what? We can get over that, right? We can get past that stuff. The love of God brings wholeness to our hearts. The more we understand God's love for us, the more it brings this wholeness to our inner man and we can live out of that. This grace that influences us and who we are in him. And then we let that spill over. And then, you know, because you desire love. You desire like this chat bot. You desire to have a safe place to process where you're not going to feel judged, where you're not going to feel unheard, where you're going to feel like that this person is actually listening to me. You know, that's what we want to become for our loved ones. And as a body of Christ, that's what we want to become for the world around us. You know, we don't want to be the ones that are pointing the finger at the sinners. You know, we don't, I don't, I'm, I'm sick of the church being known in the planet as the ones that are judgmental. You know, you watch these videos where they go on, they go on the streets and they say, tell me about Jesus. Well, he was a good man. You know, depending on where they go. He was a good man, great teacher. He's the son of God. What are some words that you think love and peace? And well, tell me about Christians, judgmental and mean and hypocritical and dogmatic. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Something wrong here. We're not reflecting. Even unbelievers will have a pretty positive picture of Jesus, but not his followers. I, I'm, I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. Let's love intentionally. Amen. Let's put these things into practice. Father, thank you so much for your spirit that leads us and guides us. Thank you that your spirit is constantly reminding us who we are in you. You're affirming to us that we belong to you. I want to start every day. I want to start every day at peace, acknowledging you, recognizing that you are leading me and guiding me through this world. I want to rest metaphorically in your arms because you have presented me holy and blameless. I am the righteousness of God because I am in you. You have cleansed me. You have made my relationship with the Father safe. Thank you, Father, for that plan of salvation. I want to reset my identity every morning in that. And then I will choose to go first in love. I will choose to... I find practical things to put into place for my children and for my spouse and for my friends and for my coworkers and for my parents. Whatever the situation is, God, I want your love to guide me and lead me to interact with people where I remove my selfishness out of the way and I have a collective identity for the body of Christ to show the world that God sent you here for salvation. Father, how all of that works out in our hearts, we trust you. In this moment, each one of us individually, we just give you our hearts. Thank you for your grace, that, that constant 
supply, just like a radio wave going into a radio, and that radio tunes to the right frequency and picks it up and starts putting out sound, so is your grace, the voice of grace in our hearts. And our heart picks up, and it broadcasts into our lives, and we learn wisdom from you. We learn strength from you. We're safe in who we are in you, and we follow you and we walk with you, and I will choose to go first in love. And I know he's just talking to some of you. Just, just pay attention. Maybe you're in here, you've never received him. I'm not sure if you're born again. You'd like to do that it's for the first time. You want to say yes to Jesus. What you did was for me. don't really understand how it all works, but I'm willing to believe that what you did is for me, and I want it. Just lift up your hand. Lift it up so I can see it. Yeah, one hand here. A couple more hands back there. Y'all see those hands back there? You see those hands? We've got a, those of you that raised your hand, you can put your hand down, but we've got a packet for you that we'll give you afterward. But just pray with me and we'll all pray this together. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the plan of salvation in Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died for me, paid for my sin, rose from the dead, and now offer me acceptance with God. And I choose to receive that. And in this moment, forever, I am righteous. I am accepted by God because of what you did. Now you're giving me your spirit and a new heart that knows how to follow you. I'm a, new I'm a new creation with all of your gifts and strengths in me. And I will yield to those as you lead me. Thank you that I'm safe in you. Amen. Amen. Man, let's show him some love.